Hey, thank you so much for joining with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather in this way. Uh, if you're looking to get more connected here at Life Church, we'd encourage you to find or form a community group. If you're looking to find one, uh, email us at info at lifechurchvirginia.com. We will work to get you planted in a community group. Uh, but we would also encourage you to form one uh, in your home, whether it's an apartment or if you can find a place of business or a park where you can meet with others and talk about the scriptures and pray for one another and do a little bit of life together. Uh, that's a great place to have a community group. Also, we want to just say thank you for the generous showing of financial investment towards Life Church over this season. You can always give online. Come by the church office Tuesday through Thursday, 10 to 2, and, and give any tithe or offering. We just so appreciate all of you standing with us as we find our financial stability in this season. Now, Sabbath month is upcoming, uh, the month of April. We're going to be meeting at the church address, and we're equipping it with our Heart and Soul series, as well as a, uh, we take that reprise, that respite, rather, from small groups and community groups. Um, Easter uh, is going to be the first Sunday, so we're looking towards that celebration. But before Easter, we also have a Monday Thursday gathering on Thursday evening, April 1st, and a Good Friday gathering uh, Friday, April uh, 2nd. We're going to have wonderful opportunities for kids, uh, going to be entering into some preaching and teaching and application for those evenings as well. So the whole family is welcome to come out from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Thursday, April 1st and Friday, April 2nd. And finally, next week, uh, March 28th, is uh, another final Sunday, Palm Sunday, in fact, uh, where we open the scriptures together in community groups. Uh, we're going to be reading the scriptures, uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. So there'll be more communications coming about that. As we've said over the course of these many weeks, uh, this stories series, Jesus tells stories not to entertain us, but to involve us. And I want to read a passage of scripture. Now, this is the third or fourth time that I've read it from this book, Tell It Slant by Eugene Peterson, speaking of parables. The parable is a form of speech that has a style all its own. It's a way of saying something that requires the imaginative participation of the listener. Inconspicuously, even surreptitiously, a parable involves the hearer. A parable is not ordinarily used to tell us something new, but to get us to notice something that we have overlooked, although it has been right there before us for years. Or it is used to get us to take seriously something we have dismissed as unimportant because we've never seen the point of it. And before we know it, we are involved. The open-mindedness and the inclusiveness that's baked into the parabolic form is doing so much more than inspiring us. It's meant to do more than educate or inform us. Jesus is uncovering. He is revealing. He's showing us ourselves so we can enter in, uh, actually be given a real shot at transformation and resurrection. It's impossible to be transformed if you don't know something needs to go. It's impossible to be resurrected if you don't know something has to die. I liken it to those moments where uh, we have three children, Tyne and I, Asa, Jude, and Zoe. And while Asa is taller than me and Jude is getting bigger than me and Zoe has more words than me, uh, at one stage of their lives, they didn't even know that their hand was their hand. I remember those moments as, you know, a little kid or a toddler just kind of holds his hand up and he's looking, he's realizing, this is my hand. And it's really cute and it's really kind of funny. 
we did uh, get a COVID dog. And in much the same way, when Ginger, our COVID dog, realized that that thing wasn't another dog, but a reflection of herself. Before that came, it was just a lot of barking and growling at the mirror. But then he, she realized, oh, that's not something else. That's that's me. These are these little revelations that we have. And while they're kind of cute and funny and you can videotape them, revelations that Jesus gives of us aren't always cute and they're not always funny. I liken it to a, a moment that I've shared with the church before. But when we were growing up, we would all spend the night at one of our friends' houses. We'd all just kind of crash around the living room. And we'd fall asleep in lots of different kinds of positions. And, and one morning, we all kind of had crashed the night before, and we were slowly waking up. And I looked over at my friend Andy, and he had his hand wrapped around his head, and his hand was just resting on his face. And none of us really thought anything of it. And we were, you know, playing Bond and doing things that high school students do at like 8 in the morning. And we're all kind of watching Andy as his hand starts to rub his face ever so gently. And we looked at him and watched, and he just went, huh. And as he woke up, he and he freaked out because his hand was asleep and he didn't realize his hand was what was waking him up. This is more truly what a revelation feels like to us when Jesus shows us ourselves. Here in Luke 18, this story is abrasively about us. And it's one of Jesus' more blunt tales. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now stop. Now just come on. I, I love this when it happens because it doesn't happen very often. <clears throat> it's not often as a story form is meant to entice, unwittingly involved, so most of them require some effort and instigate our imagination. It isn't often that Jesus, as he does here, uh, doesn't try to lead deftly or invite quietly. He's refreshingly obvious. Let me read that again. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so he's telling the story. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. <clears throat> we thank you for the presence of God that is here with us. As your word declares, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so we welcome your presence we choose right now to be aware of your presence. And we ask that you would uh, just use this time as we give it. Mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, and amen. Within this parable, there's, there's no refurbished folktale or unknown traditional parallel. There's, there's very little nuanced cultural context. Uh, Jesus summons his best dragnet impression and just says, the facts. He just says the facts. It's, it's almost as if the master storyteller can't be bothered <laughs> to weave an implicating narrative. 
He's just saying, you. 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 It's not rude. It's not grotesque. It's just true. Note as well, this obtuseness is given directly to the safely religious. Those who are in the family, but they themselves are not emanating affection. They're well-meaning, but misguided. And too often, religious people, myself included, we become protectors of the faith rather than party givers for the faith. Yet still, in my opinion, even as Jesus is blunt, he manages to avoid being mean. He manages to avoid being rude, even finger pointing. It's just kind of thuddish the way he handles that. And that's a new word for those of you. Feel free to use it, thuddish, landing with a thud. The players in his parable are twofold. There's the Pharisee, who we understand is someone who would be a religious scholar or someone who knows God. And again, I've shared this in times past, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees too often become punching bags for preaching and teaching. The Pharisees are people who do, by and large, according to the scriptures, they know God. But they've come to a place of protecting certain forms and traditions as almost godlike rather than just being available to the presence of God. The second player is the tax collector. These would have been people who were considered traitors and turncoats. They were Jews who were being worked and employed by the Roman government to basically take their money and not just what the Roman government was asking, but it's how they made their money. We'll see in Luke chapter 19 as you turn a page over that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. What that meant was they would take the money owed to the Roman government, but then they would take above and beyond for themselves. So the chief tax collectors and the rich tax collectors, everybody knew you weren't just taking for the Romans, but you were taking for yourself. And so we have this dynamic of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Acknowledge as well the moment Jesus is speaking to a crowd, which more than likely we know included Pharisees, but it also included, again, the multitude tax collectors and people who were outsiders, kind of outside of the allowed inclusiveness of the faith. The awkward moment that Jesus is telling the story direct story, including all of those in the crowd. This, by the way, is uh, the only story Jesus tells set in an edifice of worship, the temple, which would have been their church. And and it's interesting that pride is at its core. I want to read Eugene Peterson, actually, his message version of this passage. Verse 9. He told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. He's British or Australian or something. Anyway, I'll just stop his bad altogether. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like that tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me, a sinner. Verse 14, the message version. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home, made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, 
you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. Eugene Peterson has a thought in his book, Tell It Slant, that I want to share. Frequenting a religious place and engaging in a religious practice can get us into a lot of trouble that we aren't even aware we are in. It certainly did for this Pharisee. But when we find that we, we can get so effortlessly all the social benefits of being associated with God without having to deal with God, it is hardly remarkable that form without content, our usual word for it is hypocrisy, is so prevalent in places of prayer. Hypocrisy is different. Hypocrisy originates in a place of prayer and with people who pray. Me, you, us. Jesus tells this story, this implicating story, to implicate. What is the Spirit of God implicating in you? He uses prayer, wraps in some finances, some other things in this parable. But what is he implicating in you? Maybe it isn't your prayer life. Maybe it's how you speak to people. Maybe it's how you speak about people. Maybe it's your lack of generosity. Maybe it's your overfilled life. Maybe it's fill in the blank. I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, the Christ is offering resurrection space. As we barrel towards the crowds of Easter and Palm Sunday, which largely either celebrate or crucify, very little in between. So beware of those crowds that are celebrating you in life because they will either celebrate you or they will crucify. They will either exalt you or work hard to tear you down. We have to be cognizant of what crowds are saying and what they're doing. And crowds, not just a multitude of humanity, but Facebook has a crowd and lots of other social media aspects. You don't think it's a crowd, but you've got 73 likes and you've got this and you've got that. These are all crowds that we should not ignore, but we have to beware of their influence on us. But as we barrel towards these crowds, we also are nearing our heart and soul series where we will examine, talk about, and hopefully grow in the ways the habits, and the practices preached and exemplified by Jesus. These practices, doing these things, entering into these decisions and modes of life, uh, don't prove that we know God or are somehow good. They, in and of themselves, heal us. They transform. Us. It, it's a direct outworking of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not that Jesus isn't God. He is God and he does bring saving grace and healing to our soul. But there's so much more capacity for healing than just in a moment. Jesus is both God and gives us a way to go so we can work out with, with his grace by his spirit the greater salvation that he has for all of us. This is the nature of practice. So when Jesus at the conclusion of this parable says, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The one who humbles himself. Humbling yourself doesn't mean 
recognizing you're less than or you're bad in this singular sense. Humbling yourself means you need to depend on someone else. You need to depend on something else. What did the Holy Spirit prick in your heart when Jesus declared, he who humbles himself? What is going on in your life? How do you interact with those people? How do you engage yourself that you know you need to lean on Jesus for rather than just being independent? Let me suggest again, what the Holy Spirit is implicating in you right now, he is offering to bring towards resurrection. And as I was listening just a few moments earlier about prayer or generosity or an overfilled life, if there's something I left out and you're glad that I left it out, that's what the Holy Spirit is implicating in you. And that's what the Christ wants to walk towards resurrection from you. So let me leave you with this benediction. May we see ourselves for who we are in health, in unhealth, and in the transforming exercise God has instigated in us through Jesus. May we not be enthralled by the sound of our voices, pictures and posts, or any other balm that settles but doesn't save, that calms but doesn't create. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.